and welcome to the Real Weird Podcast, Episode 5, The Dangers of Mixing Business and Pleasure. Hello everyone, thanks for coming back. Sorry this one took so long, I've just got a lot going on uh, personal-wise, changing jobs and all, I've been working overnight, so that's kind of throwing off my schedule here. But today we're back. And we're going to be talking about a fun little black comedy from 1982. Uh, it's called Eating Raul, directed by Paul Bartel, um, starring him and Mary Waranov as Paul and Mary Bland. So uh, I'm just going to say this. Unlike, say, the So Bad It's Good episode where I had you know multiple, so I didn't do a deep dive on a lot of them, or... Uh, say the Jalo episode with Bloodstained Butterfly and in Case of the Scorpion's Tale. Um, this is actually a full episode um, where I'll be covering a full synopsis of the whole movie. So there will be spoilers. If you want to watch this ahead of time so you won't be spoiled, uh, just go watch it on HBO Max. If you don't have that, I think it's on Vudu or YouTube for like $3 for rental. Because uh, there's no real mystery to the movie, so we're just going to be going through the whole thing. So uh, that's going to be a problem. Just watch it and then come back. All right. So for everyone else, uh, I guess I should go through the uh, main storyline of the movie, I guess. Uh, like I said, stars, eh, stars Paul Bartel and Mary Warrenov as a rather prudish married couple. Uh, very old-fashioned, living in what I can assume is a Beverly Hills apartment, or at least, you know, in and around Hollywood-era L.A. Area L.A., I mean. And you kind of get this tone for the rest of the movie that it's going to be kind of, like, bizarre and weird, because you get this really goofy uh, intro with an upbeat music. It almost kind of looks like it was hand-drawn for some kind of like cartoon show. And we get a couple scenes of the two of them at their respective jobs. Um, uh, Paul Bland is working at a, I don't know if it's a liquor store necessarily. They describe him later as a wine merchant, but I'm assuming it's at the very least a place where they sell wine. So I'm assuming it's a liquor store. And... He's already kind of been established as being kind of, like, stuffy and pretentious because he's basically talking this one lady out of, like, getting the cheapo wine called Mountain Brook. You know, she says, it's like, it's a great price, and it's like, at 159 a pint, so it was lighter fluid, but I wouldn't be serving it to my guests. (laughs) So he talks her into taking this, like, uh, slightly marked up, marked up bottle of wine, and his boss immediately just chews him out for it it's like paul paul for if they're paying they can get whatever kind of wine they want all right i know i know you think mountain brook is cheap but i've got like 10 cases piling up in the basement because you're not selling any of it and he just gets like so into chewing him out especially because he uh, ordered like 10 cases of this uh chateau lafitte rothschild or whatever it was it was some it was one of those like really uh you know, fancy sounding wine names. And apparently this stuff goes for like 400 a bottle, which is just kind of ridiculous. 
Uh, and he gets so into it that he doesn't even notice that some guy is just like squaring up to the counter ready to rob the place. So the guy pulls his gun, asks for the asks for the money, and the owner just doesn't even bat an eye, just pulls a revolver and shoots him, much to Paul's kind of shock. And he's like, Sir, you, you killed him. Yeah. So anyway, about that Rothschild. <laughs> and it just kind of like, the whole movie is meant to be like, you know, it's like a satire about um, overindulgence and consumerism. And basically, I think that's one of the ways they show it aside from the, like they're narrating about Hollywood in that opening before they get to the story proper. Um where they're talking about it almost like it's just a really fancy, like, ghetto, basically. Talks about, like, you know, just casual violence, just the weird fixation on, like, sexual imagery that you see in Hollywood. And I think this is just one of the ways that they get that across, is that the guy is just chewing him out for, like, wasting money, and then he just immediately shoots someone who tried to rob the place uh, and just doesn't seem to care. Which I'm guessing also kind of implies he's done this before. So there's that. Uh, we got to uh, Mary over at the hospital. She's working as a nurse, uh, especially a nutritionist. And there's this one, there's this one patient that just keeps kind of like sexually harassing her, and she kind of leads the guy to believe that she'll, you know, quote unquote, do something him if he just sucks it up and eats the food which is sort of this like weird gross looking vegetable puree <laughs> and she asks like one of the other people in the staff outside the room to come in in just a minute and he finishes the food she comes back and basically through some like weird weird play that they end up doing she gets one of the guys to come in and just give the guy a colonic, which is hilarious. We don't, we don't see anything, but it's just, it's one of those ones where the guy thought it was expecting something and then he got something entirely different. So after that, it cuts to Paul picking Mary up. They go back to their apartment building, which is this kind of this weird, like tacky fifties and sixties decor. It's, it's very old-fashioned, like I mentioned. This is the 80s, but all their stuff looks like it came from the 50s. Um, and the thing that's really rankling them is that, well, they're falling behind on bills for one thing, especially with their rent. And to top it all off, there's a whole bunch of, like, swingers. There's, like, a swinger party going on in the apartment, which they just do not enjoy, because, like I mentioned, they're very... Uh, old-fashioned in their attitude and dress, like very conservative. They're kind of like stuck up and prudish about the whole thing, which is kind of funny because they don't look much, because they don't really look older or anything than all the other like swingers that they encounter through the movie. Uh, they just don't really like, they just kind of find them kind of pervy and disgusting. And... What ends up happening is that after they have their little, you know, money discussion and they discuss about the future of, like, opening a restaurant, uh, one of the swingers kind of, like, mildly drunk just, like, f forces his way into the apartment because he thinks that's where the party is. 
So they bring him back to the apartment where the party actually is. And at some point during this, um, after Paul drops him off, he comes back and then said Zwinger basically forces his way into the apartment again and tries to assault Mary. Uh, Paul hits him over the head with a skillet, killing him. And kind of out of a bit of like desperation, uh, after getting rid of the body, they just take the money out of his wallet and then dispose of him. Because it's like $600, which is, you know, a lot more back in the 80s. Uh, it was more than like the weekly pay for Mary, I think. And like she's, you know, a, a medical professional. She's like a nutritionist for the hospital. So, um, like I mentioned, Paul dropped that swinger off at that party beforehand just to get him out of his hair, off his hands. And at some point, like, there's this, like, freaky-ass dominatrix that just slips him a card. And they, uh, the card is ended up being taken by Mary when she goes to apply for a loan. She drops it at the hospital. Uh, that patient that was giving her trouble anywhere, he thinks it's him and thinks it's her. And basically just a bunch of uh, shit goes sideways for them. Um, Like I said, Mary tries to apply for a loan so they could get the little house out in Valencia so they could actually open up their restaurant like they wanted. And the bank, the bank off, the loan officer just ends up being a total pervert too, who tries to like actually, like in broad ass daylight in the bank that he works in, he tries to basically force himself on Mary, and when someone comes in, she just is, he makes it out like she came on to him, and when he refused, she attacked him basically. But he just lets her go, probably because he doesn't want the police sniffing around. As far as Paul is concerned, he tries to sell off some of the uh, you know pricey wine that he collected over the years. Because, again, even if he just sold off, like, six bottles for this stuff, it would come out to, like, three grand. So he goes to dinner with this, like, wine collector from New York. And, you know, they have what we can imagine is a very, very pleasant dinner. And then we cut back, and it's, like, closing time at the restaurant, and the bill has... And he's gotten up to go use the bathroom or whatever. And it cuts back to Paul, and it's like the restaurant is closing, and he gets stuck with the bill. So he goes back to the hotel room where the wine was stashed, and all of it's gone, except for this one that's being like chugged by this like housekeeper. <laughs> so yeah, just people keep just fucking screwing them over. That's how it goes. So they decide, kind of hilariously, to basically use the whole... Well, um, the whole mistaken identity with the dominatrix thing is a way to make money, but not in the way that, you know, they normally would. The, (laughs) their idea is to basically do to these other, like, swingers or just perverts as they call them, is to just take out an ad in the Hollywood press advertising a dominatrix service 
and then they would just kill these people and take their money. Now, this actually goes pretty well for a few times. There's some, like, comical scenes where we just see her, like, indulging. They're, like, weird. They're particularly weird tastes. There's one guy who's, like, an actor or whatever, and he's, like, pretending to be a Nazi interrogator. <laughs> so it's it's just really fucking weird, especially because someone breaks into the apartment later and just sees, like, they still have the swastika of... They still have, like, the Nazi flag on the wall, which has got to raise some red flags, I'd imagine. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, yeah, this goes pretty well for the first few times. Uh, Paul has some hang-ups about hitting a couple of them, because, like, I guess psychologically, because he's very mild-mannered, it's, it's hard for him to, like, work up the... Uh, energy to go and just like smack these guys with a skillet if they're not actually like trying to do something bad to Mary. So, yeah, that's just how it goes. She has to like fake him out a couple times. And, you know, the growing, and like I said, the first few times it goes pretty well. They make, I think, like $500 off the first couple, although one of them writes a check, so they get shortchanged on that one. And then they find an ad for a rather cheap uh, locksmithing service, uh, Raul's Lock Service, hence the, the title. And he advertises a pretty inexpensive lock service. Um, but the thing is that he's also a professional thief. So he breaks into the apartment one night, uh sees the two dead bodies in, like, trash bags in the kitchen. And he gets caught by the Blands. But he makes a deal with them. I'll give back the cash here. And you guys can keep going on doing what you're doing. But everything other than the cash is mine. I'll take the cadavers off your hand and we'll split the money. And it's it's a little unsettling because we don't know why, at the moment, he wants the bodies. Or how he's making money off this. But they figure it's a good enough deal, so they'll give it a shot. Because, you know, neither of them really want the police involved here. And, yeah, again, this goes pretty well. I think the first, like, couple bodies that Raul uh, takes off their hands, he comes back and, like, their take is, like, $700. Because they need to raise, like, twenty-five grand to get this... Um, to get the house that they want to use for the restaurant. And, you know, uh, starting a restaurant is not exactly, even as far as, like, business startups go, that's not a cheap one. Um, and then this is kind of where it, it gets a little weird because there's this, it cuts to them on the couch uh, sitting in this, like, liquid light show. Uh, by the way, fun little side note just because I, I love liquid light shows. They're basically... You get a, um, like, projector, like an old-school projector with a colored bulb, and you basically create these weird uh, shapes by... basically just putting some fluid over the... 
over it. Um, they're kind of really hard to explain, but basically you just use some kind of, um, slide projector, some color glasses, and then you just put various like, like tinted water with like water, like food coloring in it or certain types of colored oil. It just creates this weird, like, wavy pattern. It was really, really popular in the early 60s as, like, um, an accompaniment for electronic music, uh, experimental theater, rock or psychedelic music. So they're really cool. Just look up Liquid Light Show if you want to get an idea of what they're like. And, you know, they're just sitting there enjoying it, and they're kind of a little pissed off because the sort of hippie guy that they uh, were supposed to be servicing that night is, like, really, really late. And they get frustrated. Paul decides to go for a walk. Uh, Mary actually says, Paul, can you go get another frying pan? I just feel weird about... I feel a little squeamish about cooking from the one that we're killing people with. He's like, yeah, all right. He goes out. A couple minutes later, the hippie guy finally shows up. Again, he gets really handsy, um, and Raul just happens to be swinging by, so he, like, chokes the guy out with his own beads, his own, like, beaded necklace, and the two of them have what's called a tie stick, which I'm not entirely sure what it was, but they take the drugs, they have an affair, they get done just by the time uh, Paul's getting home. Uh, Raul disposes of the body, although he takes a little bit extra as a sort of like, you know, service fee. And this is where Paul starts getting suspicious, even more so of Raul. Because, I mean, it's never really like out and out prejudicial, but you can kind of tell that there's some. There is some tension between the two, just because, like I mentioned, Paul's kind of. They're kind of like old fashioned and. They make a couple hints that Paul might be kind of like prejudiced against, at the very least, Chicanos. Uh, maybe not Latinos or Hispanic people in general. But there's some element of him that doesn't trust him just because of that, but it's also because they know he's like a thief. So after a couple times, uh, after Raul... After Mary tries to break off the affair with Raul, Raul actually tries to... He puts on a disguise and he tries to, like, run Paul down with his car. He tries to, like, kill Paul for it. So Paul decides to just sort of tail Raul to figure out what his deal is. And this is where it gets really, really hilarious. Uh, if you've ever seen the old movie by Ted Mickles called The Corpse Grinders, this is basically the same thing, but... We find out where Raul is getting the money from and why he wants the bodies. For one thing, he's selling off the cars that these swingers leave behind in the apartment parking complex, in the uh, parking area for the apartment complex. So he's making money off that. But the bodies, he's selling to a friend of his who is grinding them up and using them for dog food. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
I mean, it's not a very gruesome movie, honestly. If it weren't for like language and content, and sexual content, you could probably get away with a PG or a PG thirteen for this, because there's because even for the amount of like people that they've killed, it's got like a really whimsical tone, and you don't really see anything other than just getting like this weird sort of bonk sound effect when someone gets hit with the skillet. So, you know, they try to make a bit extra money. Uh, so they go to that, like, uh, the bank president earlier uh, shows up again with the, they go to this, like, rich swingers party at this uh, guy, Mr. Leach's house. Uh, Mary runs into the bank president that tried to, like, get handsy with her earlier tries to do it again. She accidentally stabs him to death and just throws his body out the window uh, into a garden, so no one really sees it. But they just sort of gradually get sort of like fed up with everything. And they try to they try to flee. They try to retrieve the body and the money first. But um <laughs> okay. So the host basically says, "All right, everyone get and get naked and get in the hot tub, which everyone does. It's like a really big hot tub. But then they see, like, Paul and Mary trying to, like, just hanging over by the fence. And they're like, come on, get in. And they're like, no. And they're like, all right, you know what? Quit being a buzzkill. Either get in the pool or get the fuck out. And Paul, at that point, just loses it. And I kid you not, in the rather, in probably one of the funniest scenes in the movie, he just grabs a space heater, a big electric space heater, and just throws it into the hot tub and it just kills all of them and it's not like prolonged or anything they just sort of like go oh and then just like fall over so they realize what they just did they just he just killed like a dozen and a half people maybe more so because it is a really big hot tub so they call up the uh service that raul was selling the uh cars and bodies to and they just make well I was going to say an absolute killing, you know, no pun intended, but you know, they do, they actually get like double the amount of almost double the amount of money that they needed for the restaurant. But Raul confronts them because, you know, he's for one thing, he's actually like genuinely in love with Mary at this point. Um, and Paul did a couple things to try and like psych him out. Like he hired the, dominatrix that they were inspired by earlier to just sort of like going around and harass him in different disguises like a blind nun that just so happens to know what he's doing uh border patrol agent and a health inspector and the health inspector was giving him little uh tablets of saltpeter to make him impotent so you know he he shows up at the apartment, holds Paul at gunpoint. But at some point, they get the weapon away from him and kill him. And this is where the title finally comes in. Um, Because it just sort of like... Because, you know, after what it's being implied that he's doing to the corpses for the the dog food, uh, they realize that their friend James, the realtor is coming over and they don't have anything to prepare for dinner so it just cuts them and they're just eating this sort of like weird um 
Yeah, it's one of those meals where it's like nothing really looks like the meat doesn't really look like meat. And he's like, I didn't know you guys were, uh, you know, did Italian food. And he's like, oh, it's actually, uh, it's actually Spanish. So, you know, uh, get what you will from that implication. And then after their little discussion, it just cuts to like a still photo of them finally opening up the restaurant, just zooms out and you just see Bon Appetit come up on the screen and it just, and it just rolls to the credits. Ooh. So yeah, that was basically the whole synopsis of the movie. I, For anyone that did take my advice and watched it before this, I hope you uh, enjoyed it as much as I do. I hope you think that I did the uh, did the plot justice because it, it is a really silly movie, but it is really... It is really restrained, and that's kind of what I like about it, is that there's sort of this, like, weird matter-of-fact way that it presents everything. Uh, It's got kind of funny... It does have some funny slapstick, but it's not just, you know, in your face about it. It's not trying to get laughs off of people just falling over for basically no reason. Uh, Add to this the... Like I mentioned, there's the great satire about, you know, consumerism, overindulgence... It's the me generation, basically. Because, like, Paul and Mary are basically the same age as, like, all these rich swingers. Maybe a little older. But they're all in that... You know, they're all in that uh, age range where we would, you know, be calling them the baby boomers. And they had... Especially before, you know, the people like myself who came after them who just can't afford to be that indulgent or the people that came before them that didn't have those luxuries either for tech advancements or because they were, you know, kind of uh, socially discouraged from having that kind of indulgence level. They have a reputation for being, you know, overindulgent. They want instant gratification. And this is really, in both ways, it's kind of a... um, on. This is kind of like the two ends of it. Even though Mary and Paul are very, very prudish... They want that restaurant. They want to be like the small business owner so bad that they don't mind knocking off people <laughs> to get the money for it. And I think that just works really, really well, honestly, because it kind of, no one's really a good guy in this scenario. I mean, the swingers are, for the most part, they are kind of pervert. They are really perverted. And, you know, not just in the sense that they're like, you know, free they're kind of open about their sexuality. Like they're pervert. They're perverts to the point where like, I swear, like I mentioned, there's like four different attempts to sexually assault Mary in this granted. And now I should say that by the way, if a rape scene is going to be a break for you, you don't need to stay shy of this movie. Cause they're all only attempts. They all get stopped short. Uh, so, you know, if that's any consolation, take it from that. But and it's also a great example of black comedy just because, like, obviously it's, you know, it's heavy subject matter. People are getting murdered, but it is still presented in a very sort of stilted and satirical way. Because, like I mentioned, no one's really the good guy or the bad guy in this movie. It's just kind of like... It's not, it's not really a case of, like, moralizing about, you know this side's good, this side's bad. It's just kind of like showing the weird uh, things you can do with the the conflict between that. 
And granted, Paul Bartel has done a lot of like just regular screwball comedies or some drama, but he also did the original Death Race 2000, which was like famously satirical. It was actually kind of controversial at its time. Uh, significantly, as much as I love Jason Statham, significantly better than the 08 remake for a variety of reasons, not the least of which being that they didn't have this just pandering need to make it so that we have, you know, a protagonist that's completely fucking innocent. Because why would you be able to relate to a protagonist that has done literally anything wrong in their life? But, you know, it's it plays up the social satire. It has the implication that there is this, you know, uh, road race going on with, you know, death row inmates. And basically, whoever wins the race goes free. And it's being broadcast on live television. And it's really fucking disturbing because you've seen... Because you'll just see, like, this old lady get run over and then you just have, like, this sports commentary. It's like, oh, that's gotta hurt. Too bad. And she was only 63, two years older, and she would have been worth double the points. It's like, it. it's really fucking gross, but it's, like, so fucking... It, like I said... With, I've said this about Reanimator to a friend of mine. It's like it's so transgressive that it comes back around to being artistic, just because of how, like, uh, kind of, kind of disgusting, but also disgustingly artful it is. Uh, Paul Bartel's also done this like sort of, you know, class and generational conflict thing with uh, a later film of his, actually his second to last before he died, called "Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills." I haven't personally seen that one, but I've heard it's, I've heard that this and, um, like Death Race 2000 are all considered to be his three best by a lot of people. So, you know, might be worth checking out all three of them. Uh, just while I've got you here for this one. Um, I would say that the one flaw with this movie, I kind of agree with like Roger Ebert's review of it saying it's really fun it's really enjoyable it's got some great moments great satire uh performances are wonderful but it doesn't really go that last mile where it would be really shocking like there's nothing really shocking about the movie other than just the sort of like cold ironic detachment that it has from everything you know you don't see any blood at all um no, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, there's a shocking like lack of blood in this movie, which, you know, it's not necessarily needed, I don't think. It does well enough without it, but I don't know. Anyway, I think I'm going to be wrapping it up here. Um, like I said, this is on HBO Max. If you go want to go watch it, you can probably rent it from a couple other streaming services. I will be back in two weeks with an old French animated film called Fantastic Planet. Uh another little satire although this one is sort of going from the hg wells playbook and using aliens to talk about colonialism so have a good day stay safe i hope to see you all tune in next time and thanks for listening bye-bye